sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. This isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes all running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and following on from last week's interview with journalist Daniel Otis, I wanted to invite another journalist onto the podcast who maybe is a little bit more experienced to give a, a perspective on what's happening right now and over the last few years in terms of UFOs and UAPs. Uh, a reporter and editor for Salem Media, he's published articles with Hot Air, The National Review, The Debrief, Washington Times and many, many more. I'd like to welcome Jazz Shaw to the podcast. Jazz, how are Right today. Doing great. Thanks for having me, Andy. Awesome. Uh, Jazz, we have spoken before. Well, I say we have spoken. Uh, we were in the middle of uh, Danny Sheehan uh, doing a monologue on the big phone home, and at times <laughs> we got to interrupt him. So uh, that was our kind of only kind of back and forward, really, um, which was really enjoyable. And um, ever since then, I've wanted to get you on. I've seen you on Unidentified Celebrity Review plenty of times and enjoyed reading the articles that you, you post up as well. Um, before we get into talking about UFOs right now, I want to give folks a little bit about yourself, Jazz, and your background and who you are, if you want to take us through in terms of, you know, growing up, any military experience, and what's ultimately led you to this point in your life where you're writing regularly, among other things, about UFOs. Sure. Uh, I'm an old man. I grew, I was born in the 1950s. Uh, I grew up in rural America, out in farm country. And uh, went to school, very nothing really descriptive. Uh, I wound up uh, specializing in English and electronics technology. I went into the Navy. So I served uh, five years in the Navy uh, working in radar systems. And when I got done with that and went out into the civilian world, I was working initially in electronics technology, engineering and design. And I slowly switched over from that to doing technical writing about those topics and then a bunch more technical topics. And I spent some time writing technical manuals and whatnot. And uh, then I transitioned out of that about 20 years ago and went into more energy or energy related field and writing about the government. Uh, I finally wind, wound up uh, going to work about 12 years ago for Salem Media and uh, writing for them on their primary websites, uh, their print magazine, and uh, doing a lot of spots and uh, work on their radio network. They've got like 150 radio stations around the country. So that, that was sort of my transition from nuts and bolts stuff to writing. And 
I never wrote, uh, although I had a lifelong interest originally just from the sci-fi angle and later some of the scientific questions, I never wrote professionally about UFOs until uh, late 2017 and the first week of 2018 was the first time because it wasn't a subject that our publisher talks about. You weren't allowed to write about that. It was not taken seriously. They don't like to be seen as silly. And yeah. uh, after the 2017 uh, December New York Times article came out, I went and as gently as I could contacted our, the management of our division. And I said, you know, this this isn't little green men. This is a government program and the government's talking about it. Government funding it is sort of applicable to us. And I think people might be interested, you know, uh, what if I wrote about that? And I, it took two weeks for them to get back to me. And uh, well, more like a week, I think it was a while ago. And they had, they had been debating it and I got a very tentative answer that was like, well, this is a real slow time of the year. There's not, not that many people reading anyway. So, okay, we could try it and see how it goes. So I wrote the first article and the second article, um, really just about the stuff the New York Times was reporting, the secret Pentagon program and all that. And before I did another one, I, I had to go back and check with them and like, okay, well, there's this other thing that came out of it, which looks interesting. Maybe I could write, and they're like, well, okay. And it turned out that that first pair of articles, uh, they, they were the highest traffic articles on the site for the entire month, you know, and it yeah. became clear quickly that there were a lot of people who were interested. Not everybody agreed. There was a big debate going on in our discussion forums and stuff. And some people were like, you're crazy. Why are you writing about this? This is nonsense. And other people, no, no, this is, this is very real. And this is very exciting news. And I think that's what helped drive the traffic. And by about the fourth time I went to them, uh, our management came back and told me, um, you don't have to ask anymore. You're the UFO guy now, you know, yeah. <laughs> which I, I've told people that story before. And I've, I've always felt a little um, of two minds because when somebody says that to you, it's like, you know, I've been spending a long time writing about really serious stuff. Do I want to be the UFO guy? Sure. But I still write about all the other stuff too. Um, except when I joined the debrief last year uh, and started writing uh, for Micah Hanks crew over there. Um, I, I don't write about any of that other stuff. It's all, I do a couple science and military uh, defense articles, but 90% of it, all I write about is UFOs because that's that, where my that interest is. You know. Sure. That that first article, the link for it will be in the description to the podcast. And it, it's not a long article. And like you say, it's a piece on that New York Times piece about a week or so out from that. How, how did you feel yourself writing that? You said your initial interest in the subject was just through, you know, science fiction, TV shows, movies, whatever they were at the time growing up. You've not had any life altering experiences, you know, nothing like that in, term, in terms of UFOs. How did you feel writing that article? And, and delving into that world is something you weren't too familiar with in writing terms. I, I was a little nervous, I'll confess. Um, but I was also very interested and I just, I had a hunch. I thought, you know, people are going to relate to this. People are going to like it. And no, I, I hadn't at that time had any life altering experiences. Um, that changed for me in 2020 when I suddenly had a cavalcade of life altering experiences. My wife and I did, but, uh, up until then, you know, it, it was always abstract for me. It was like, well, I, I guess this could all be real, but it, it might not be, or it might be something conventional or 
whatever, but I was certainly curious. And it seemed like the government was being awfully secretive about it for something. If it was just something mundane, you know, why would you try to keep it secret like that? And that, what about that got my curiosity up. Hmm? What, what about the story stood out to you? Was it the fact it was the New York Times writing about it or well-respected journalists? Or was it, like you say, the fact it wasn't Little Green Men? It wasn't the X-Files logo plastered across the, the, the piece, you know? Yeah, I, I think it was a combination of those things. I, I found, because I've, long before I ever wrote one word about UFOs, I've written a lot about government transparency, overclassification, um, secret, you know, unwarranted secrecy, particularly in military matters and things. And and the government, let, let's be honest, and I'm speaking of the American government, of course, mm. um, the government's done some very bad things in the past, and they've hidden it. And we don't find out until much, much later when all the people that would be held accountable are dead. You know, uh, for any of your viewers who might not be familiar, you can go Google something called the uh, Tuskegee syphilis experiments. You know, that was something the government did. And they they were literally killing black people, just letting them die to see what would happen because they gave them fake drugs saying this is going to cure your syphilis. And then they monitored them and watch them go through the various stages until they died. You know, it was evil. And they, that's a thing they did. Um, they've taken, they had programs where they were taking our own troops, our own military and administering drugs to them without telling them just to see what would happen, you know, and that's all documented. And we didn't find out until the guilty parties were all dead, but they, they do stuff. And I, I never, I never take it for granted that we're being told the truth or that we're being told all of the information and stuff isn't being held back. That even applies when I go through the FOIA process and submit uh, FOIA requests. I, I've gotten answers that I knew were blatantly false from the government to a FOIA request. I, I requested a document that I already had a copy of in my hand and they wrote back to me and they said, nope, we don't have any document like that. And I sent them the document back and I didn't get an answer. So, you know, they're not always truthful. So yeah, I, I think journalists have to be on their toes and do our best to try to hold them accountable and, and get information out of them. If I had spoken to you on the day you were writing that that article or about to publish that first article on UFOs and asked you, what is your opinion on all of this? You know, you can see what it looks like. You talked about objects moving at Mach 9 or faster. You know, we, we find out there's these videos of these white Tic Tacs. And like, again, you mentioned in the article that had been floating about online for a while, no pun intended. What would your opinion have been on if I said, what do you make of all this UFO stuff? What would Jazz have said in 2017 that it was? I would have honestly said this, well, part at least partly the same thing I'll tell you today. I have no idea. I don't know what those things are. Um, back then, I would have given more credence to uh, the idea that, well, maybe it's some really deep, single, well, black-funded object you know, uh, program of ours, maybe the Russians, um, back in the early days, not so much the Chinese, they've only really come on to the tech scene for all that stuff far more recently. But, uh, I would have given some credence to that. I also, I, I feel embarrassed to say it today, but I also did not entirely discount the idea that there could have been some sort of mass hysteria going on. Uh, some people were just confusing things they saw for other things, you know, um, even when they had those videos, you know, like the gimbal and, and the go fast, I, I looked at those and I was like, yeah, that looks really interesting. 
But then again, it's through a gun camera. It's kind of grainy. They're pretty short. Could could they have been filming something else, even a meteorological phenomenon or something? Maybe, you know, uh, I, I still remember when it, the first one came out of which one's the one with the little dot going really fast. Um, go fast. Go fast. My, yeah. Yeah. My father-in-law was a career military man who worked on very secret programs, literally, literally a rocket scientist. He helped develop the harm missile system and later worked in uh, planning uh, airborne combat scenarios for training. And uh, I showed that to him and he said, oh, I know what that is. And I said, what is it? He goes, that that's a training device. It's not really there. It's on the gun camera. It's a fake target that, to see if they can lock in on it and get a lock. And I was like, oh, and I walked away from that thinking, oh, this is fake. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but then later he came back and he goes, OK, I, I've been following the rest of the stuff you sent me. I'm not so sure anymore. Yeah, that, that might not have been a, a fake target. So, yeah, I, my answer back then would have been I don't know. I, I had other possibilities. You you asked me today and there's been just so much other evidence, other stuff that's been leaked out finding out about the programs they were running and the amount of energy they were putting into these efforts to study it. And then, like I suggested earlier, my wife and I had five sightings between November of uh, 2019 and, uh, and last uh, November. And I, and that really, that changed me, you know, because now I, I see stories about, well, this could be, you know, it, it's, it's probably just some secret program. And it's like, I know what I saw. We didn't build that. Come on, man. You know, if if we got something that can do all that, particularly what I saw with my own eyes, then the government's got a lot of questions to answer. When did you come up with this tech? How long have you known how to do this stuff? And why haven't you shared it with anyone else when it could so dramatically change the world? You know, you're, and you've just been hiding it, you know? And so I don't, no, I, I, now I'm leaning. If you, if you ask me where that stuff comes from, I'm like 90%. It's something completely unconventional and probably not from here. I, I'll leave a small, much smaller possibility that, okay, maybe they really been pulling the wool over our eyes, but boy, it's, it's harder and harder to believe. When you say you obviously you've had five sightings and if you're saying that there are these sightings involve things happening that it's not ours. So I take it you're not seeing what's clearly a satellite in the sky. It's something that's going to be closer or maneuvering in a way that you're you're quite certain it's that something else. What were you seeing that really decided for you this isn't ours in terms of necessarily being human? Before November of 2020, I like everybody else. I I know at some point I I probably well I definitely occasionally would see. You see a light in the sky. Maybe it looks like it's doing something a little weird. It could be something anomalous. It could be, I don't know what a satellite looks like, you know. Uh, you know, it could even be a lightning bug that I'm, who knows, right? Yeah. But no, in uh, November of 2020, uh, I went out on my front porch one evening. And I, as I do almost every evening, and you know, it's evening, I'm looking up at the sky. And out just above the horizon, above a ridge to the east of our house, because my front door faces east, I, I just happened to notice there was this round ball or globe or I don't know. And it was all these different colors. And it was really slowly just moving along and going up and down. Then it would stop and then it would come back. And as soon as I saw it moving, I grabbed my camera out of my pocket 
and I went across the street because we have street lights. I wanted to get on the other side to yeah. cut, out, cut out the street lights. And I started filming this thing. I filmed it for five minutes. It, it didn't go away. It just went back and forth and up and down and just kept changing through like all the colors of the spectrum. I'd never seen anything like it. I, that's on my YouTube page, by the way. Um, and, uh, but it, it didn't do anything else. And my wife came out and looked, she saw, you know, uh, cause I texted her and, uh, I, I finally, I, I just, I gave up and went back inside because it's not doing anything else. That's, that's weird. So okay. that one wasn't really definitive. Cause like I said, it was kind of far away, but it, it wasn't a dot of light. It was, it was a ball. It was a shape. It looked round or unless it was a disc on its side. I, I don't really know. Um, that one caught my attention and left me with a lot of questions, but it wasn't too definitive. Later that same week, my wife was out walking the dog and she had walked, we live up near the corner of the block and she was on the street next to the house. I was out in the back deck and she's, she's the one who filmed this one. Um, it was late at night. It was a cloudy night, not great weather. So again, th this video is horrible. You can only see a few dots, Yeah. Uh, but sudden just coming from the West and going right over our house was something that blocked out the clouds. And for all the world, it looked like a, a triangle in shape. And it was moving slowly and it was moving really silently. And on the bottom side of it, there were all these little lights, but they weren't like they were attached to whatever the thing was because they were, they were different colored and they were moving in relation. Like maybe they were just floating underneath it. And my wife's just filming it and she's like, what the F is that? You know? And, but it just, it didn't do anything. It just glided over the house. Didn't make any sound whatsoever. It was huge. I, I would guesstimate it had to be at least 500 feet across and it just kept on going and it went off towards the horizon and never saw it again. Uh, the other three last year, first one was in early June. Um, we saw, I saw two of them. She saw, no, I saw three of them. She saw two of them. Uh, it was either the same type of thing three times, or it was the same thing coming back three times. And in the conventional language that everybody uses today, it was a Tic Tac. And it wasn't at night. It was in broad daylight, a clear blue sky. And I was once again out back on my deck in the afternoon, forget what I was doing. And I just happened to be looking up because there were two conventional planes uh, coming from the little regional airport near us going over. And I just happened to be, you know, I always watch the planes. I don't, I don't know why. And as they were going by, coming from the other direction down quite a bit lower was something white that I first thought of, another plane, except it wasn't leaving a contrail. And it was smaller because it was down lower, but it looked smaller than the than the jets. And again, like everybody always says, no noise. And it came closer as, as it was going by. And it was just this white tube. Uh, I would say about the length of a bus, maybe. But no tail, no wings, uh, no windows, no nothing that I could see. It was just this thing. And that's when I reached for my pocket to grab my phone, because by this point, I've always tried to be ready. And that's when I realized my phone was at like 5%. I had left it inside on the charger. So I go smashing through the door, screaming for my wife, get your phone, get out front, because I figured it's going this way, you know, past my house. If I run out front, I'll see it on the other side. And I go running in and I rip my phone off the charger and I, I go out front. And uh, my wife's already out there, and there was nothing there. It was gone. And th at the speed it was going, we should have easily seen it for at least another minute heading off towards the horizon. But it, it 
she said she saw something white for a second, but she picked up her camera and she couldn't see it anymore and couldn't find it. And I didn't see it. So it had disappeared. Um, the second time was in August. Uh, it, I'm not going to go through it all again for you again. No, no, that's, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I'm out on the back porch. Uh, I don't remember if there were any planes at the time. Same thing. Same looking thing comes from the same direction. And this time I had my camera. Ready. So I pulled it out and I started filming it. Trying to. It's a, it's a little thing up in the sky and the camera doesn't want to focus on it well. So the video was crap. But it came over until it got even with our house. And I'm still sitting there pointing the camera at it. And it looked the same. Same description. Tube. No windows. No nothing. And it just stopped. And it just hung there in midair. And it hung there for, I think, on the video, it, it was like three and a half to four seconds. And it just, it started, it was lengthwise facing, like, parallel to me. It started to turn a little bit like this. And then it disappeared. And I don't mean it flew away. I don't mean it crashed. It vanished. On the, on the film, it's like one frame, it's there. The next frame, clear blue sky. It just disappeared. Uh, but it it showed to me when I had time to reflect on it later, when you're talking about the capabilities and everything, um, what was its method of travel? What was it using for propulsion? There was nothing obvious. How was it generating lift with, with no wings unless it was a balloon? How did it go from doing, I would guesstimate, 100 miles an hour? It just, bink, stopped dead. You know, if there's anybody inside that, they would have smashed into the front of it at 100 miles an hour, you know. And then how did it vanish? Is it cloaking? I don't know. Is it a cloaking device or can it teleport? Who knows? But I've never, you know, I, I worked on an aircraft carrier for five years. You know, I, I've seen all sorts of planes. I've never seen a plane that could do that. You know, so now that I think if that answers your question, that's what convinces me. I mean, that's that's just I, I'm not aware of any technology from us or any other country that can pull off things like that. And even if we suggest that maybe they have it, I don't know what the science would be. I know people are working on stuff like that all the time. They're always trying. People would like to have anti-gravity. Um, people would like to create warp bubbles. There's a team out in California that claims they're this close to doing it, creating one, you know, but I'm not aware that anybody's ever achieved or achieved those successes or, or was able to do those things. And I, I just, I don't know. It doesn't sound really plausible to me that it's some hidden technology because all the great technological leaps in our history, Andy, you're, you're talking about the first radio, the first telephone, um, even the first uh, ability to widely generate electricity. We, we hear of one person's name usually or one group that does a thing. Mm -hmm. But you also you find out that Generally, in human history, other people were working on the same time and other people came up independently with the same thing either shortly thereafter or a couple times before. Cool. You, like, who, who who did the first powered flight? The Wright brothers, right? Yeah, but there's a guy down in Brazil who did it like six months earlier. And nobody ever hears about that, you know. And they weren't working together. <laughs> so if, if all these technologies have been discovered, number one, they were discovered by the government. The government has the best scientists in the world. I doubt it. And even if they did, if they managed it, how come nobody else has come up with it? You know, it, I, I would think there would be a lot of people with anti-gravity machines by now because they would have had they would have had to have had these things back in the 90s. Right. 
And in all this time, nobody else has managed to think of how they did it. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. I've been rambling on too long. No, no. I, I, thank you for going into detail on the five uh, five events as well, because I appreciate that. But it's funny when you mentioned trying to photograph the Tic Tac. La- last year, I was driving along, and I, I wasn't far from an airport locally, I'll always admit that. And I took a picture of an object in the sky, and I think I've got a good eye, given where I live, and I'm always looking for UFOs, I suppose, when you've got an interest, that there was something in the sky that looked like it was kind of sitting still. I tried to take a picture with it with my camera phone. I was driving very slowly on in a traffic jam. So I was kind of sitting, you know, if you're on YouTube, you'll see it. I was like that and trying to look ahead of myself and take a picture. And I took the picture. And when I got home, I, I went to check. And where this thing was, there was nothing there. However, just doing a blow up of the image and looking about, that image, that it looked black to me through my eyes. And it was a bright blue sky, a couple of white clouds. So, you know, I, there was, a, again, little white looking Tic Tac. And the worst thing I think you can see when you're involved in this subject is a UFO, especially if you've got a UFO podcast, because it's just it's too convenient. Oh, yeah, you're seeing Tic Tacs now, are you? And I, I sent it to one of my friends who does a little bit of uh, photographic analysis. And I said, look, is this an airplane that's just really far away? And I can't make out the definition of the, the wings and stuff like that, which is more than possible. And he done a quick look at it and said, because of the picture quality, you, you can only make out so much. However... If that's an aeroplane, the only thing I could see is there might be something on the back of it that may be a camera artifact. But if it is an aircraft, it's upside down. So it, to me, there's some <laughs> there's something there. It's white. It doesn't look like it has wings. It doesn't look like it's got anything on the back. And if there is something, it's on the bottom and it's upside down. So it's probably not an aeroplane. Um, and I would ask you, do you ever feel that because you're involved in this subject as you are and, and having five sightings so close together, is it because of that involvement you now have that you feel this phenomenon sort of attaches itself to you in, in a personal way and that's why you have all of these sightings or is it just that you're more attentive to the subject? Okay, I've heard a lot of discussions about this. I've been involved in discussions about this. I am aware of this whole concept, theory, whatever you want to call it, that sort of boils down to if you look into the phenomena too closely, it starts looking back at you. I also have heard from the other end, oh, you might see strange things. Everybody sees strange things in the sky, but because you're so interested in it, your brain is letting you see what you want to see. Um, For the first two, maybe I'll, no, for the first one, maybe. I mean, maybe there was, you know, a, a weirdly lit blimp or something that just was lost, I, I guess. And, and I saw an orb. The triangle's pretty hard to write off. The Tic Tacs? No. It, it wasn't a cloud. It wasn't something else. It was it was very clear. It was very distinct. You know, you, you don't see it on the camera because it's crappy cell phone footage. But yeah. No. Now as to why. Um Again, I don't know. Anytime we ask a question why about this phenomena, we have to sort of infer the motives of whoever's driving, if anyone's driving. Maybe there's nobody. Maybe they're run by artificial intelligence systems, really super advanced ones. You know, we don't know. But trying to infer the motives of something or someone that potentially may have evolved or been built on an entirely different planet somewhere. It's hard to say. I I always hesitate to be like, 
well, it keeps showing up near my house. Is it because I'm here and I'm looking? Is it, is it here for me? And as soon as I have that thought, I immediately feel like an idiot. It's like, who are you? Why would yeah. it care about you? You know? So what I settle on normally, if I have to come up with an answer is I, I have come to believe that these things are around a lot more than I ever realized. They've probably been flying over my house forever. And I'm normally not just staring intently at the sky. If I'm outside, I'm usually doing something in my yard, in my garden, doing chores, you know, things like that. Yeah. But then after it happened, then I was out there a lot more with my camera ready and just standing there and watching when I had a break. And maybe if I had been doing that all along, I would have seen one 10 years ago. That's that's my take on it. I don't know. I, I cannot think of any reason that it or they would be interested in me, and that's why they're here. Maybe if we all went out and spent more time staring at the sky for a long time every day, maybe everybody would be seeing this. And if you don't mind me asking, normally these are very personal experiences, but you've you've had several of these now with your wife. What's mm-hmm. her viewpoint on the subject? I, very obviously, as a summary before, but also now that she's seen some of these, has that changed her viewpoint as to what these may or may not be? She always tolerated my interest. She didn't even like watching a lot of the same movies I like to watch, but she tolerated it. She never brought it up on her own to discuss it. Um, I, I don't remember her ever. I mean, she would watch TV shows with me. Like, you know, I, I, I would watch, you know, unexplained files and things like that. And if there wasn't something on she wanted, she, she'd sit and watch them. And she'd be like, eh, that's interesting, you know. But no, she she never spending a lot of time thinking about it she never talked about it like she was a believer i don't even know if she had an opinion uh, oh she did say and a few times when we discussed it before all this happened she was certainly a believer that it was almost there was almost certainly other life in the universe it's just such a huge universe and life seems to be so ubiquitous everywhere we look why wouldn't it be elsewhere so she has no problem with that idea was it coming here in starships to visit us she didn't really have a take on that um, after the, the orb, she j- said it was interesting. It was curious, but I don't think it really changed her mind after the triangle, everything changed. And if from there we'd be watching the TV shows I like, and she'd be like, that's what we saw, you know? And it, it was in a one week period. She went from not interested, semi-skeptical, but open to the science to she knows it's real. And then she saw two of the three Tic Tacs and, and she, yep, there we go. Like the third time, the first time it was just jaw dropping, right? I, I, I was freaking out. And she said, I started to turn into the, uh, the uh, character from this one movie who goes crazy. I, I'm drawing a blank right now. The guy who builds the towers out of mashed potatoes and stuff from Close Encounters. Yeah, um, I know who you are, yeah. Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. Richard Dreyfus. I had turned into Richard Dreyfus after the first Tic Tac because I was just out there all the time with my camera ready and, and looking around and talking about it, you know, and waiting. And uh, and she, even though she had seen the stuff and she was like totally fine with it, but she's like, you know, you are getting a little obsessed. Um, but you know, at this point, no, it's just it's just accepted in our house. This is this is a thing that happens in our world. You know, uh, weird stuff shows up. We've never seen a being we've never been abducted that i know of unless they're really good at white mushing your memories um 
never had any form of communication. People talk about, you know, when they have an experience like that, sometimes they'll, there'll be telepathic communication or some people describe it as like getting a download, you know, things like that for me, nada. If they were trying to talk to me, then there's some part of my brain that doesn't work because I haven't heard a thing. All, all I have Andy for, for myself and my beliefs and for anybody that wants to talk about it, I saw some weird crap that showed up over my house. That's what I saw. It, they were things. Might have been somebody inside. Maybe nobody. I have no idea. But no, I've never been contacted. I, I don't have any. I'm not an experiencer in that way. Um, I'm just this old dude who saw some stuff from his back deck. Well, again, thanks for sharing those experiences. And again, when people have these personal sighting experiences, I've spoken to people who are alleged they've been abductees or they've had conscious or subconscious experiences. They're all very personal and there's a real lack of strong proof, including my own sightings. They're usually just stories because they happen. However, in, in the last, what, four, four and a half years now, a lot has happened since that New York Times article has come out. Do you think, let's just say the UFO community, appreciate the times that we are in right now and how much is happening or coming out on a daily, a weekly and a monthly basis. I'm a little jealous of the younger people who might have only just been in college or getting out when the New York times article came out and are starting their adult lives because they may have, they probably were of an age where they watched the X files in the nineties and they were interested in all that stuff, but it was kind of cool. And then suddenly their first real splash into the pool isn't having to listen to Leonard Nimoy or, you know, somebody else or getting books written by people they'd never heard of who had no official connections with the government usually or, or anything and hearing them being called conspiracy theorists and things like that. Their, their first exposure was the government coming out and going, oh, yeah, by the way, we study UFOs, you know, and I think they live in that world. The rest of us have had to make a big transition from the way the subject was treated in the eighties and the nineties and, and all that. And then suddenly now we live in this world, the world of Lou Elizondo, the world of Chris Mellon, you know, uh, the world of, Oh my God, the, we had a Congressman well, just a month or so ago went and gave a speech on the floor of the house of representatives in the United States, accusing the air force of a cover up. And he was talking about UFOs and aliens and all sorts of stuff. And he's like, and I'm tired of the secrecy, you know, and that's why we have to have this new commission and, and we're going to have reviews and investigations because this is an important issue. And I was watching that and I was like, that that would have been on an episode of the X-Files 20 years ago. It, it would never happen in real life. And that guy would never be able to get elected if he said stuff like that. Nobody would vote for him, you know, and now. Him, Kirsten Gillibrand, Marco Rubio, they're all just coming out and going, yep, this is the thing we got to deal with. So I, I think the world really has changed um, for the better, for the most part, in my opinion. Uh, we're still seeing way too much secrecy, too much overclassification, but it's it's a real thing. It's it's no longer a joke. It's Nobody has to play the X-Files music or talk about Little Green Men. You know, it's, it's a real thing. It's not a mystery that we've solved, that we know of, that anyone has solved. But it's a real mystery, and they're real things. And I don't know. I'm really happy that I at least live to see this much of it. And I'm excited for what others will get to see in the coming years if we continue on this on this trail. Because I, I think the government will. I think we're going to find out more. If more resources are expended, we might learn more. Or maybe we'll never learn anymore. Maybe we're just incapable of like finding out 
what we really want to know. I have I have a quote that I keep on a daily uh, pad that I always use uh, just for for notes and things like that. It's a quote from uh, yeah astronomer uh, Dr. Richard C. Henry uh, with John Hopkins University in 1977, and he he put this in a book and I, I ran across it and I just found it so striking. And even all the way back then in the 70s, he wrote, I very much doubt that an intellectually inferior species can study an intellectually far superior species if the superior species chooses not to be studied. So if they're building starships, which one of us is the intellectually inferior species? That's an easy one to answer because we don't have starships yet. And if they don't want to be studied, we're going to have a real time, real hard time working this out. 100%, like putting lab coats on monkeys and giving them some clipboards yeah. and asking them to figure us out, you know. Um, then again, I don't think we're too far from monkeys the way some of us are behaving at the minute with uh, with war, <laughs> with wars and everything that are going on. That That's something I, I've talked about when I know people, there are people who enjoy the idea there's a huge paradigm shift coming and alien beings are going to come down and reveal themselves. And, and, and we're, save we're going us all. To, yeah, and you're like, why would they i mean if anything they would wipe it out and start again because that's that's the way it's kind of going but hopefully we don't get to that point you, you mentioned though this this trail that, that we've been on um, and we've got this new ufo office being fully established there's a few bureaucratic things going on in the background we had asro and then the aoimsg and where they're going to run beside each other where they're going to one take over the other what are your re- realistic expectations of what these offices will achieve, but what do you hope at best they could achieve? Well, first of all, we've had two different stories coming out of the government. I'm still not entirely sure there's going to be two separate offices. Um, the one that they set up on their own, that the Pentagon set up on their own, that's the AOI monosodium globe MSG, office. yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah. Ross Ross Coulthard in, on his new uh, podcast came up with a, a much better name, which I I plan to start using very soon. We're just going to call it the UAP office, and that stands for unpronounceable acronym made up by the Pentagon. Yeah. So, um, so there's that one, and but they were just following orders, really, because the last NDAA when they were, or actually it was the uh, IAA, the Intelligence Authorization Act, that ordered them to set that up they went ahead and said okay we're going to absorb the uh, uap task force and here's the new unpronounceable name office that we're setting up and then the second bill came and it was going to be a different name so i'm i'm still not entirely sure if there's going to be two entirely separate offices two that are linked together but handle different aspects or if the congressionally mandated one is just going to absorb what they made last time uh, as to what they will accomplish, I do hope they're going to collect a lot more information. They've set up a system for reporting that supposedly started in 2019 uh, when it went into place. Um, one side is collecting information from military incursions. The other side is collecting information from pretty much everybody else, commercial pilots, uh, you know, regular citizens, scientists, uh, people with telescopes, things like that. Um I hope they start compiling all of that, ruling out, separating the wheat from the chaff, and coming up with good lists, good data, and most importantly, because everybody wants to know, to not classify it all and to share it with us. Um, will they 
delve into the bottom basements of the government and find out that we actually have crash retrieval going on. Uh, I'd be thrilled as anyone if that happened. I do not have hopes for that. Yeah. Um, they might know a little more. Maybe they found some debris somewhere that they can't explain and they haven't revealed. That would be nice. But I think mostly we're just going to be seeing the more comprehensive collection of data. If you read that article that Chris Mellon did a month or so ago, he talked about where's the Air Force? Where's all their data? What, how is it possible they never saw anything? And he listed all of the different, like the, like the electronic fence, you know, and all the different satellite systems. That they hopefully they'll be tapping into all that data and clearing out the stuff that's known, obvious, our stuff, commercial stuff, weather, and whatever's left. Gather that data and see if there's any visual sightings by anyone or any radar returns that match up. The more that you can stack up, I think the better case you can build. That's my hope for what they'll be doing. My worst fear is, uh, as Mellon also reported in a separate thing. Uh, there was a plan announced that was in place. Uh, they put out a new classification scheme uh, at the end of last year saying everything to do with the old UAP task force needs to be classified secret. And I don't know if they've already tried to do that or they've done it or it's something they're planning, but they're going back to that reflexive thing. No matter what they're doing, if they're just going to lock everybody out of it, then it doesn't do us any good to have the damn office, really. So I don't know. That's my worst fear. Um, I, I think it will go on. I think the effort will continue. We'll be made aware with very unspecific, non-detailed reports with nothing we actually want that work is ongoing. Um, but in worst case scenario, that's all we're going to know. Well, you mentioned the classified briefings. The first classified report, uh, the mandated 90-day update, is due by the 27th of March, which, as we record this, is a couple of days away. Actually, it's the day this interview drops for, for everyone on the free feeds realistically we are not going to see anything from that report because it's classified it's for those who have a clearance to look at it are the chances though better now to hear some things from these reports because there are so many congressmen and women and senators and other officials looking to get involved in the subject that just by sheer law of averages regardless of the classification status because there are more eyes and ears getting these briefings seeing these potential reports that you know, some lips talk and we we hear little bits and pieces coming out. Do you think that's got, got potential? Well, I look back at the last couple of years. We know that these briefings uh, for the Armed Services Committee and the Intelligence Committee have been going on. There's been a number of them. We've heard some things from people like Chris Mellon who were involved in preparing the briefings for them. We've had general descriptions of what they've been shown without any details, just what was type of information was being presented and discussed. Mm -hmm. But boy, uh, unless you've heard something I haven't, and I really try to follow this closely, they've done an awfully good job of keeping their lips sealed. They, nobody in Congress has gone and said anything specific beyond, I saw things that were really disturbing, potentially disturbing, and I, I believe we do need to investigate this. None of the things are mentioned, you know. So, so far anyway, uh, they haven't been talking, even their aides. Normally you get something out of staffers, you know, cause they like to leak stuff and it, just get nothing. So I don't know for sure. Maybe that'll happen someday, but so far it hasn't been. Now, the other route that we have is 
because uh, you probably saw the thing that just dropped at the Black Vault yesterday. Um, yeah. The, the first report, John Greenwald managed to get a redacted version of the full 17-page report. I guarantee you, on the 27th, the moment that drops, he's going to be requesting it with a FOIA. Mm-hmm. And when they turn him down, he's going to file another mandatory declassification review. And that is how he got them to release the redacted version. And that's going to happen again. But look how long it took him. You know? Yep. So that's how long we'd be waiting. And even when we get it, large sections of it are just going to be blacked out again. You know, because yeah, they can and, do that. And to make a point, and I'm glad you said this earlier, Jazz, that, that and I've spoken to, I, I am no expert when it comes to the, the governments or the military industrial complex and the top secret programs. And I, I've spoken to members, members of the military on both sides, and they can be very patriotic and, you know, they've served their countries and, and whatnot. But just because the government says, yep, this is the full report, here are the 17 pages redacted, doesn't mean that was the full report. Like you said yourself, you you requested a document that you literally had in your hand, and they got back to you saying that there wasn't one. And and this is it, and that that's 17 pages. And I know John Greenwald disagrees, but it's likely there were a lot more pages, no doubt with tables, graphs, data points, photographs potentially, involved and that's i still lean towards the fact this was more than likely in the mid 70s when it comes to page length because of all those cases and the information that could have been part of that report even in those blacked out sections there's not enough to make up what we kind of heard was going to be there within 17 pages however within that heavily redacted 17 pages i think the thing that's jumped out to a lot of people is this uh, common shapes which is which is an interesting point And it clearly states at the bottom images, and then it gives you a little note of what the images, paragraph and section would be. And you don't get to see those, obviously, as well. However, that doesn't mean there's pictures of flying saucers on there or black triangles. And it could just be that there are potentially images of adversarial drones, for example, that could make up part of this, but they just don't know what they are. However, I would hope there's some some good stuff on there, which were non-human intelligence, potentially. But was there anything else in that redacted report that stood out to you that you've managed to look at that that John managed to get, you know, uh, published? Okay. well, first of all, as to whether or not it was a longer report, I tend to believe, particularly since the pages were numerated, that that was the report that Congress got, the classified version of the report that Congress got. I firmly believe that and, and you made reference to this, you know. This one is part of a series, et cetera, et cetera. I'm certain there's a much, much bigger file that the UAP task force put together. Mm-hmm. And the public report and the slightly longer congressional classified report, I believe, were taken from that file or files. And those were extracts that they felt did the bare minimum that Congress required when they were told to produce a report. Yep. And I, I really, I honestly believe almost as badly as they, they treat the public, they don't like talking about this. They don't want to tell Congress any of this, but they were ordered to, and Congress pays their salaries and, and funds their programs. So they have to do something. But I do believe they did the bare minimum. I think that 17 pages is what they thought they could get away with, and they did get away with. Um, so as far as anything else in there that stood out to me, I I, I – I mostly was just curious about the big sections that were blacked out, but and, and but you already brought it up. I would like to know in particular that areas with the common shapes you mentioned and things like that. 
was it all just drawings that someone came up with uh, based on somebody's report or what they remembered seeing mm-hmm. or were there photo were there photos were there still frames from other videos yeah. we have heard pretty definitively again going back to chris mellon that members of congress have been shown significantly longer videos than the ones we've seen and significantly better quality and if they've already seen those why not at least take a couple of still frames from it and stick that in the report so Mm -hmm. maybe it had photos uh, which i would very much like to see and if there's a longer video i'd like to watch the longer video potentially videos of entirely different incidents particularly since 2019 you know they, they may be out there and, and ready to go. And I, I think they should be declassified and released personally, but I don't make the rules. Um, yeah, that, that, that caught my interest, I think, the most out of the redacted longer version of the report. And it only whet my appetite to just keep hounding them and saying, you know, you got to do better than this. Now, Susan Go or Susan Goff, in, Goff. in the UK, I say Goff, yeah, I've heard it go, but yeah, Goff, um, she's a spokesperson for the Department of Defence, has been very influential in the UAP discussion, whether some folks like that or not. Um, <laughs> what she will and won't say or release are crucial, and the message has changed a few times as well. Why do you think this is? Is it just playing hardball? Is it a lack of truly understanding at times what she is and isn't discussing? Or do you think her role has just changed over the time she's been a part of this whole process? Susan Goff was brought in for a very specific reason at a very specific time. Um, The Pentagon was totally caught with their pants down when the New York Times published that article, by the way. Uh, They had been contacted and asked a few questions, but only towards the end of the investigation, uh, the way Ralph Blumenthal put it. And they didn't have time to scramble that the world was about to learn that OSAP and ATIP had existed, you know, uh, they, they weren't ready. And so they just got a couple of the people who were most closely attached, who were spokespeople that were tasked with answering questions from the media and things like that. And they were the first ones we got to send questions to. And they were actually answering the questions or trying to. And, and they were getting frustrated at times because when they get a question from a reporter and they'd go, all right, I'll go check and get back to you. And they'd go and ask and they'd get shut down. Or in some cases they thought they were being deceived and they'd come back. And then suddenly they all disappeared and Susan Goff shows up and she replaces everyone. There used to be multiple departments, you know, there's one for the air force and one for the intelligence agencies and other ones. Nope. No more. I have sent requests to entirely different departments entirely different referencing something that was on one of their releases and i got their spokesman and sent them an email and said hey i I wanted to ask you a little bit more about this because it had something to do with the uap task force and and the offices and for the last year i've never gotten an answer back from the department that i sent it to they immediately get for she answers it even though she's not even in that department she gets all the questions she gets the answers Greenwald has found some uh, some documents, internal correspondence that got released through FOIA, which I'm sure they weren't happy about, showing them internally discussing how everything has to go to her and we have to stay on the same message here. There was clearly a whitewash going on. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't see that changing, no, um, unless she decides to retire. I mean, she already retired once and and she was a she was an intel agent, you know, in the military. And they brought her back just to do this. 
So unless she's really desperate to retire, I imagine that's the only person we're going to be dealing with for the foreseeable future. Just before we get to some listener questions to to finish off, Jazz, do you think we've got anything on the horizon coming in terms of new footage, pictures, data? Folks like Jeremy Corbell have been teasing now for quite a while with things like quotes like this is just the calm before the storm, as if there's going to be new footage coming out, for example, as he had last year. Any any whispers or any inkling? I hear the same things you do, probably, uh, from most of the same people. Um, Lou Elizondo told us not very long ago that he was really excited and there was stuff going on, but it wasn't quite ready to be talked about yet. That could mean new footage. It, it could mean new witnesses, you know, military witnesses, whatever, more pilots coming forward. Uh, I don't rule it out. Um whether it's Corbell or whether it's those guys, you know, breaking through and getting something else to be declassified and released could be either way. I'd love to see it, but let's be honest. We, we hear this on a monthly basis in, in the entire ufology community. There's always somebody saying, Oh, the, I, I know this thing. I got this inside source and something's about to go. And occasionally something does go. And that's great when that happens. But then for every one of those, there is there's 90 more where nothing happens. You know, or somebody comes up and really gets made a fool of because they fell for some disinfo and it turned out to be totally bogus. So I would just advise everybody to be cautious. Um, don't get too excited when something comes out. If it doesn't have the right pedigree, uh, like the redacted full thing that dropped yesterday, I have no questions about that because I completely trust John Greenwald is has never done anything but release government documents. And these stand up to the test. If you write to Susan Goff and go, hey, is that real? That And they're going to they're gonna verify it and say, yeah, that's the report. Because they decided what was going to be redacted and what wasn't. You know, that was their decision. So nobody's going to deny it. That's real. Um, when you hear these things about somebody like, well, in, in DMs, I was talking to this other person and they were shown this video that was completely different and it's really shocking. Where do you see it? And then it doesn't show up, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, so yeah, hold your horses. Let's everybody try to keep calm and soldier on. Um, I, I think I'm a hundred percent sure there's more coming of various types of information, more government activity. There will be more reports. How, gratifying those reports from the government will be we'll see you know but uh no I'm, I'm not i don't know anything you don't know i'll just put it that way there i don't know that there's anything about to drop that's really going to be jaw dropping you know but yeah i'm, I'm sure there's going to be more the story will continue to develop and god willing and i'm around to do it you know i i will try to stay on top of it and be reporting on it and and share with everybody what i find out uh, but you know buckle up it's you know it's probably going to be a long ride and you know what i think you're you're right that if we were going to get something jaw-dropping tomorrow and i like to go back to the staple a video of a black triangle emerging from the ocean filmed by an f-18 fighter pilot if that mm. was going to drop tomorrow it's probably something that would just drop on us and you wouldn't hear about a week in advance and have people building it up and hyping it and i've I've seen videos, nothing major, that have, have dropped and the community's had a big discussion about before they've been released. And that's not me going, I'm privy to anything super secret. But anytime I've saw any of these, I always go, all right, is 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 that it? Okay, cool. 
because it's usually lacking in quite a lot of different things and you may or may not have seen the same stuff as well jazz and that's where i'm always like i'm grateful for anything to come out and i'm sure people have had to go through processes to get these but it may or may not be a drone maybe it may or not be a drone or a drugs run it could be a balloon floating in the wind it could be something but we don't have enough data to tell us what it is so like you say i'm batman always balloon <laughs> yeah Bat- batman balloon that one's still keeps coming back round. i've noticed it's doing its rounds in the, the some of the mainstream uk stuff just now on, online as well um i just stay out the conversation but but listen let's get to some listener questions jazz um sure. first up uh we had mads now mads uh you've sort of answered the first part of his question is it possible that the aoimsg um or unpronounceable aerial pentagon whatever it was you said is going to exist <laughs> parallel with the Gillibrand Un- asro amendment office an unpronounceable acronym cooked by, by the Pentagon. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, it's, oh God, it's almost harder. Um, but is it possible that AOIMSG and ASRO would run side by side potentially? You've talked about that, but yeah. I also wanted to know: Do you think the budget for whatever the office turns to be will be made public? Uh, well, that's a yes and no question because the way the budget works, the budget is not broken down. In, in its final form to every single office and how much money they had to spend on coffee filters. Yeah. The, Pentag- the Pentagon gets one block of money that's in the hundreds of billions. Okay. And then they break that down into the civilian side and money for the Navy and the Army, the Air Force, the Marines, and now the Space Force. You know, and on the intelligence side, there's a bunch of offices. The The breakdown only goes so far. So that money that's going to be used by these offices or that office, if they're combined, it's already allocated. It was now, It's already been signed off. But it doesn't go down to the detail of how much is going to go specifically into collecting UFO reports by this one group of people, which may be staffed by only five to ten people. You know, yeah. plus investigators, it it doesn't go down that far. Um, Any time that the inspectors general, or in some cases the media, you you can do requests and say we'd like to know the specific budget for this, and if it's not classified, they will come back and tell you what portion of the budget went to that specific activity because everybody's got a code assigned, and they can go find out how much money was spent against that code. You know, if you're spending code for this office is, you know, F-17-AAAGF, you know, that has to be on every line item where money is allocated. And that, that can be retrieved, not in real time, not beforehand, but after the year is done and that's all filed, you can request that information and you can find out. Um, I would not expect it to be gigantic, but also if it's going to be a, a fully staffed office or two offices, there's minimum requirements and they're going to have a travel budget apparently. Um, Because some people are going to have to go travel and collect things and and talk to people. So I I would not be shocked if over the – and it's currently slated to be funded for two years. Over a two-year period, maybe a couple offices, that many people. I I don't think it's going to get to what we once heard, like maybe a billion dollars total, when we thought everybody was – all the functions are going to be handled specifically in this one little group. The responsibilities are being shoved off onto the other departments in the military and in the intelligence community. So their responsibilities shrink. I, I wouldn't be shocked if it, it, it I, almost certainly in the tens of millions, maybe up in 
100 200 million range it, it'll be a decent budget i think but we we can find out uh, a year and a half from now like you say atip survived on a budget we hear of 20 million dollars which is pretty conservative and like you say it depends on who's in the program what's involved you know the what they're going to have to do exactly but um it i suppose the proof's in the pudding and we'll see what comes out from that um gaz yeah, that, a, that was a shoestring budget so yes yeah um expensive shoestrings but still yeah yes. comparatively <laughs> yeah um gaz wants to know what is your honest take on roswell um asking jazz as a truly seasoned pro on the subject of ufos uh, gaz isn't sure there seems to be a little more than he seem, he seems to think there's more than the normal level of discussion about roswell lately and wondering if something's going to potentially come out Roswell is one that I have looked into not nearly as deeply as some other people. I really, I enjoy the subject. I've always found it interesting. Um, the only thing I can say conclusively to my satisfaction is, first, something came down on that ranch, probably in late June of 1947, and wasn't discovered by Banks Brazel until July 7th, right? And that's when all the notifications and Hubble blue started, something came down out of the sky. And the second thing I'm convinced of, there was a cover up by the government. In fact, there was at least four of them. What they were covering up, as far as I'm concerned, we still don't know. I, I have my own theories. I, I think extraterrestrial craft is probably number two on the list. I have heard uh, Nick Redfern has actually, I think he wrote an entire book, but he also did some articles on it. He did a lot of digging, and I still think it's very possible that that was a top secret program, not the the secret listening balloon uh, program. The name slipped my mind right now. Um, Not that, but again, now we're getting back to the subject of the government done some terrible things at times. There are documents that that Nick highlighted and witness reports uh, from people that were alive at the time who suggested that back then we were first studying the effects of very high altitude flight and radiation on people. And they suggest that the government may have taken maybe some Japanese prisoners of war, maybe even, I'm going to say something horrible, trigger warning, shut off the show if you don't, if you're not ready that they may have even taken disabled children who were abandoned at um, asylums and homes and things back in the day, which, which happened if you had a, a child that, you know, had severe birth defects and it's tragic, but they did uh, maybe that maybe some children, maybe some Japanese prisoners and put them in a craft suspended from a really huge balloon that was not pressurized and just shot them way up into the air just to watch what the effects are on people being up there without pressure suits or anything. And of course they would die. Um, and if one of those crashed, that's certainly the sort of thing they wouldn't want to talk about back then because of classification. And also they would never want to reveal something like that. If that's the case, that might've been what they covered up. Um, the other possibility is, yeah, it was a flying disc and somebody didn't get a memo and went out and called the radio station who called the newspaper and said, yeah, we're covered a flying disc. We're checking it. We'll let you know. And they yanked him off the stage really fast with a hook. And then they came out and went, nope, weather balloon. You know. Yeah. So that that's my answer. Um, uh, I don't have a personal belief, but uh, 
I I would put um, extraterrestrial incursion uh, fairly high on the list, but not at the top. I've said on the podcast, Jazz, that it happened so long ago, and it's the it's the first case I think almost exclusively everyone hears about when they get into the subject of UFOs are are first exposed to it. That I'm, I'm always wary of things that happened so long ago, getting like additional books and new witnesses, because almost everyone involved in that at the time is now passed away, and the grandchildren of these people have have more or less passed away as well. So you're now onto the great 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 grandchildren of of anyone who was involved. And I think the only true way anything could really come out further about the the case would be if the government did have some super secret files that one day they opened up, you know, through a John Greenwald and they opened them up and went, here you go, here's what happened or here's something from it. Um, but it, it's one of those, I think, the myth, the lore, the legend is, is there for a good reason. And um, yeah, but interesting. Thanks for the question, Gaz. Um, Sazek asks, have you heard or seen anything about the supposed video video? Senator Harry Reid left after his passing. Okay, I guess now it's safe to talk about it. Um, I have spoken to a couple other journalists about the rumor that, and this started about three years ago, uh, that I, I guess the general consensus seemed to be that he had recorded when they when he found out he was sick and whatnot, I had recorded something most likely with George Knapp. The reason people thought that there was one podcast, God, I'd have to go back and find my notes, um, where there was a discussion in the background where Jeremy Corbell had gone on that show, and while they were recording it, and it wasn't wasn't alive, it was being recorded. If if the story is true that he had said to the host or hosts, I think it was two people, uh, he was just telling the story and getting into it and, and just sort of mentioned out of the blue that uh, that Harry Reid had done that, which is important, you know, because you don't want to lose. And then he kind of stopped and was like, wait a minute, hold on. We need to cut that. And I guess if the story, again, if the story is true, they cut that section out of it before it was published. But there were people who allegedly watched that portion of it so we never heard it from harry reed we never heard it from george knapp we never heard it directly from jeremy corbell it's this is one of those stories that you heard from somebody who heard from who allegedly knew about like three three generations away um with all that said just because of their history together and by they i mean harry reed and george knapp and all the years and the exclusive access that that Knapp always had to Harry Reid whenever he wanted him, you know, he talked to him. He was he was at his house all the time. I would not be at all shocked if that video exists. Um, there may have been instructions, you know, even after I'm gone, you have to wait a certain amount of time mm. before it gets released. You know, let all the funeral arrangements and my family and everything get taken care of. Uh, maybe there's something about it that has information included that could get someone else in trouble until those things get sorted out. Uh, so my, the answer is no, I don't know for sure. 100% because I was not one of the people who watched that podcast. And even if I had been, I I'd still be relying on Corbell's knowledge. So sure. I don't personally know anybody who's actually seen the video, which would be the only way to confirm it. Um, and Nap's always very good at holding, holding things close to the vest. So, and, and I think but even I, I find I mean, it plausible. 
even if that does exist, Jazz, I think there's also a, there would be a timing element to to anyone leaving one of those sort of deathbed con- confessional and as huge a name and as respected as Harry Reid, Senator Harry Reid is and was, there still has to be a timing for that to be released and you wonder in the height of a war, wartime situation as we have in Ukraine at the moment with everything that's going on, is here's a, a former senator who's now deceased UFO confession video. Is it the right time? Probably not anyway. Um, for Agreed. for whatever impact they'd be looking for that for that to have, um, and uh, final question from Wajella asks uh, Wajella is curious to know how have your colleagues' perspectives on the topic that obviously you work with and write with, how has that evolved since twenty seventeen? Have you seen any noticeable change? Uh, case by case basis, definitely that that that's the overall answer. Um. Like I said, I, I work in a group where this was never written about professionally. It was never discussed openly, nothing like that. And when I started to, I did surprisingly find there were uh, a couple people on our team and on the extended team who immediately contacted me privately and said, oh, you're interested in this too? I've always been interested in this. That's that's a really fascinating story. And there were other people like, you're going to lose your job because you're, right, you're, you're acting like a lunatic and they're not going to put up with this, you know. And this is all bullshit. I'm sorry, pardon my language. And uh, so it, it ran the gamut. But I will, on top of that, I will say some of those people who were saying it was all BS have since, in the few years since then, slowly but surely, as I put more and more info out, as more and more of it's in the mainstream media, as Congress is passing bills and creating offices, they've come around and kind of gone, Okay, I don't, I don't know if those are really things that are aliens, but clearly it's real and it's something the government's doing. So, yeah, it's, it's a legitimate topic. We can talk about that. And others have, see, have started diving in deeper and looked at some of the videos and pictures and read the reports, the new ones and the older ones, and have become far, far more open to the idea. On the other end of the scale, there is one of the uh, list of outlets that I write for and I'm not going to out anybody by saying specifically which one it was or is, that uh, as the topic was blowing up a while back, they really internally wanted to get some coverage of it and get on the bandwagon you know, and participate. But their editors, uh, as much as they wanted to do it, they didn't have any of their own people who wanted to put their name on anything. And that was when the first time that I started writing for that particular outlet because they contacted me privately and said, look, we, w- we want some coverage of this story. And we see you're, quote, the UFO guy, and you've been writing about it. Would you like to do it for us? And I was like, okay, sure. And it was just done with the understanding that this was all me. This is my coverage. My, if there's any opinions, they're my opinions, not the opinions of that outlet or any of the editors. They don't want their name tied to it but they did want it on their site. So I think that if that answers the question, that's like the range of what my various colleagues, both in our network and other networks that I work with and that we associate with, it, it does run quite a range there. Everybody seems to be interested. Most everybody seems to be interested. How much they're willing to put their own, attach their own name to it changes quite a bit from case to case. No, that's a, a nice note to end on. Can Jazz, I walk- it's been wonderful. Oh, go on. Go ahead. You're fine. I can edit that out. I can edit that out. Don't worry. No, I was going to say, I, I wasn't aware you were going to 
say something else to me, so I'll stay here. If you were just going to be doing a closing thing, I was going to ask if I could get up and go get another glass of water, but I can wait. Go ahead. Yeah, literally two seconds. Yeah, just while you're on, I'll make a note. Jazz, it's been great speaking with you at Long Overdue, like I said. Um, how can people follow you on social media? And also, have you got anything coming up? What's next? Um, yeah, the only social media I really do, I mean, I, I, I technically have a Facebook account, but I haven't looked at it in five years. Uh, I use it for logging in and out of stuff. You can. I, I'm on Twitter pretty much every day, all day, far too much. I can't believe how much of my life I've spent on that webpage. Um, it's just at JSHAW, one word, J-A-Z-Z-S-H-A-W. Uh, you can see all of my stuff if you go to hotair.com, if you go to the debrief, uh, debriefmedia.org. Uh, those are the two main ones where you'll see me. Um, if I find it, I'll, I'll give you a link if you want to stick it in. I, I do have a YouTube page, like I said. There's like five videos on there. I don't do shows or anything. Or, or any of that stuff. It's just if I take a video of a UFO or a plane that looks like a UFO or whatever, I toss it up there. But I really don't do anything else with it. So, yeah, but mostly just Twitter. Um, as to what I have coming up, I just finished an article that I was researching and then writing for two weeks uh, for the debrief. And it's already submitted. Uh, they, they're usually pretty slow reviewing submissions, uh, small staff, a lot of people. Uh, a lot of a lot of contributions, so that's not a criticism. Uh, it, it can take any anywhere from one to three days, but when you submit something before it actually goes live, so I'm not sure when it'll be up. By the time this airs for the general for everybody, it should be up at the debrief, and it is an article about. Uh, I, I the title I used was "Long Before the Phoenix Lights There Was Incident 40," and it's an article about Incident 40 from Project Grudge. And it was a sighting of a guy who actually took two photographs of what appears to be a UFO. And his story came out, unfortunately, on the same day that the Roswell story broke. And he was in the news for like a week, and then he disappeared. But Project Grudge and later Project Blue Book looked into him, looked into his sighting, but also into him and his character. And the really fascinating thing I turned up in this report is... I may very well have uncovered the first government documented incident incidents of the men in black because they wow. confessed to having gone to interview this guy in person and, and just were introduced as from the federal government wouldn't say anything else. And they asked him for the negatives from the pictures that he, they took them away and they'd never returned them. And if that doesn't match the description of a men in black incident, I don't know what does. But that's not just some story coming from a Robert Stack, you know, TV show. This is right in the government's files. They, they interviewed the F, there was an FBI agent and a CIC agent, and they went and they had the complete report from the FBI agent's experience. And he was like, "I thought it was weird. They told me not to say my name or show my badge, but I, I also thought it was none of my business. So I did the job and I left. You know, so he wasn't intentionally doing it. But if that was their policy." Might be more reality to the Men in Black story than we know. Well, all of those links will be in the description for the podcast. Um, I will, I've made a note as I've gone along. And by the time you hear this or watch it, hopefully the article is out and you can check that out because that sounds fascinating. I'll be reading that one as well. Jazz, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. And for everybody out there, I'll borrow Micah Hanks saying, stay strange.
that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access the shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast of course on twitter it's at ufo uap am and again folks as always keep looking up you never know what you might see it wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer more like a hubcap designed by chaucer a little baroque and quite steampunk like alice was playing bass for the parliament of the little fucker hovered right outside of my window and when i shut out the screen he made it an issue i don't think he expected me to see his ass but i'd had some champagne and smoked a Tic-tac and not quite a song.